If you remember back in the fall, we uh, showed a two-part documentary called For Our City. Our story, the building, the theme of struggle, the ups and downs, the highs and lows. This morning, we wanna actually give you a recap of that and show you the last installment. So this is, as my gift to you on grand opening, will be the shortest message I've ever preached in the history of City Church. You're welcome. But the documentary is about 15 minutes long and we're actually gonna show it to you this morning. We hope you enjoy uh, this story. Man, it's been a long journey to this point, 13 years. If you'd have told me we'd have been setting up, tearing down the ballet for 13 years when we started, I told you, you were absolutely crazy. Uh, did not think that's how it was going to go. It's kind of surreal when we say that, because I'm like, 13 years, it's like a long time. And it was so chaotic and just so much in that like pre-launch in that first year that I'm like, I, don't, I mean, I didn't, didn't at that time know there would be a year two, much less a year 13. Yeah, goodness. When we first came to Tulsa, obviously one of our first things was to find a place to meet. And even that was a struggle. Went up to the last moment. I mean, Is that right? I mean, the ballet said no. Yeah. That was our number one choice yeah. in the ballet. They were like, no, not even interested, not going to talk to you. And there was just something inside of me that said, go back by the ballet. And so I pulled into their parking lot and I walked into the lobby and said, hey, we're looking to potentially lease this space. And he started laughing. He said, man, you're not going to believe this. So I just came out of a meeting and we were talking about, for the first time, allowing somebody to lease the space because they were it was right out of 2008 and they were having some financial struggles. And so it was just the timing and really the leading of the Holy Spirit. I mean, this building, I think 2018, is when I first heard this building was on the market. And the giant of faith that I am, when I first heard the price, I was like, <laughs> well, that's not gonna work, so. I mean, the building's never been the, the goal, but we've been looking for a considerable time. There was a seven to nine million dollar price tag on this building that wasn't in our budget. So, like it was 2019, someone called, said, hey, the owner's taking anything you throw his way. We are like, you never know. Why not? So we threw out a price and the story <laughs> begins. Yeah. The theme of struggle. We were two days from closing. So we announced the city church. We just got a new building down the street. <laughs> and then the next day, yeah. we realized the closing is not going to go through. A couple months later, we find ourselves in a courtroom listening to a judge who's going to determine whether or not the bank is going to take owner or the, the owner is going to keep ownership of it, whether or not we're going to be able to buy it at all. And a gentleman that we don't even know very well stands up in the courtroom and he says, Madam Judge, you're missing a significant part of this whole story. I was like, I can't yeah. believe he just did that. And she yeah. says, if you have something that's going to be beneficial to this court, I'll swear you in and you can come give it. And he does, he testifies yeah. and it turns in our favor. Close on this facility in February of 2020, about three weeks before the world shuts down. And it doesn't matter. I mean, you can be a person of faith and strong faith, but in that moment, you've got to be thinking to yourself, what did we miss? <laughs> Why is this happening? And I, I think, Part of our story, though, is God's faithfulness in the struggle. Year one of City Church, we talk about struggle. Yeah. We had so much that first year <laughs> for us. Some that are too sensitive to be able to talk about right now, 
because we want to honor and respect other people, to getting a call at 10.30 p.m. where Jim's on my front driveway saying his then wife had just had an affair and didn't want to be married anymore. I remember the day that I drove over to Matt's house and I said, I need to talk to you. And we went and sat in my car. I, I have no idea how long that conversation was or even the words that I said during that time, but it was just the complete brokenness. And I think that was truly the essence of when our friendship deepened, it was out of that brokenness. You and I didn't know each other that well. Good acquaintances. <laughs> yeah. Most people in this story don't realize, like Jim and I came not knowing each other very well, and yet here we are faced with some really tough stuff. I mean, at the beginning of City Church was just full of challenges. It was really just one thing after another that first year that we couldn't foresee coming. And uh, I was 24, almost 25, pretty insecure as a leader, still trying to find myself. And I was faced with all of these very difficult situations. Again, I'm, I'm 25, so I guess my first time really leading. And I remember Jim looked at me and said, hey, I want you to know, um, I'm behind you. Uh, and for a young leader who's and trying to find yourself and wondering whether or not you have what it takes, whether or not God's in this, and there's a whole lot at stake. I mean, sometimes you just need somebody to believe in you, right? Someone to affirm, I see this, I believe it. It really did kind of give me the confidence to say, okay, I'm going to lead and even make difficult decisions this first year because I know it's what our church needs. It's what our team needs. Looking back on that year, I always, I just felt like that. What God was saying is just hold on. No major revelation or no like specific word. It's just persevere. Because I think there was a lot at stake that year one. This is a cool testimony of that, this place. I'm glad we held on. But our heart was always to come and, and not to do church like we've always seen it. You know, and, and we're not we're not starting this church because we're dissatisfied with the way church is done. We're starting to we're passionate about people. But we believe the kingdom of God's built on relationships and building relationships and being active in people's lives and getting outside the church walls. Um, you know, it may be a while before we ever get inside any walls, you know, that, that we call a church, and that's okay with us. Because we feel like the church is wherever we meet in the name of God, wherever we're serving people. Uh, that's what we're passionate about. And I just, I've watched so many of my pastor friends build buildings, move into new facilities. Even just early on in ministry, I, I just, I almost like told myself like that, I'm not gonna make it about that. That's not gonna be the emphasis. That's not the end result. Like I've tried to remind myself that. I'm like, okay, it's not like you get a building and all of a sudden, you're content and everything's great. It really is learning to embrace the place that God has you. And that's been a life lesson for me of just, if I can't love the place that I'm in, I will never love the next destination or the next season. Reminding ourselves that in, in the waiting, not to fixate on it, not to make it an idol, not to try to get there as quickly as possible, but just loving the place that you're in uh, has been something that I've, I've had to remind myself over and over in this journey.
Matt, I think one of the spaces that I'm most excited about is our pathway room here. Yeah, the worship area is gonna get a lot of, a lot of air time. Yeah. But this room right here, man, micro churches launches, church planners, yeah. missionaries. I can't wait to like, I mean, spaces like this, what we're doing with foster care to have a place where people can gather and church planning, the church planners that will fill this place. Man, I, I strongly have felt called to unity in our city to bring pastors together. When when pastors in our city are unified, our city changes. That's different. The, 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 the yeah. environment of our city is different. And these are the spaces where those people will gather together. When I think of the building, I don't think of just the gathered people. I think of all of the people who are gonna walk back out and go to places. And you can't quantify that. It's mind boggling to think about the ripple effect of the kingdom of God through one person. <laughs> yeah, just thinking through all the things that we've been through in this facility so far and you know, COVID was difficult. We, we thought that was gonna be the most difficult thing. Can you even talk about this next part? Oh man. Man, walking into this mechanical room yeah. <laughs> yeah. brings back some memories of walking in here and realizing something's off. And I was like, we, we have a break-in. They had completely stripped this mechanical room. There's this, this room is filled with wire. Yeah. Jim and I come over here because this goes up to the roof. And when we get up to the top, we were completely unprepared. I mean, the only reason I can describe it is it, it just looks like a tornado that hit the building up there. We have HVAC units up there and they destroyed 20 of them. I mean, just obliterated. We stood up there and I, I told us, I was like, we're going to take a picture because we're going to remember this moment. Forced to smile. We Forced to smile. It. We're going to take a picture. It's going to be a story of God's faithfulness. It's not funny today, but it's going to be funny one day. I, don't, I still don't think it's funny yet. <laughs> I honestly, I mean, I, I don't over-spiritualize every story, no. but I remember intense spiritual warfare in year one. Yeah. Intense like I'd never experienced. And I, I, I knew that it wasn't just copper. I just, I just knew. In fact, we had some of our prayer words and prayer teams and one of our, like what I would call a prophet in our church that just said, yeah. this is more than that. And we need to pray. Yeah, and I, I've just always believed, I mean, the enemy knows and he's not just gonna sit idle and say, here you well, go. Every significant step of faith has significant opposition. Yeah, absolutely. Every time there's gonna be spiritual warfare. It doesn't make you shrink back, but you have to prepare yourself spiritually, emotionally. And I think now, you know, even for us as, as these struggles happen, it's, yes, it's hard, it's discouraging, but we look at it as what is getting ready to happen in hope yeah. of the impact and the redemption and the restoration that's getting ready to happen yeah. because of the struggle. One of my life verses is Ephesians 3.20 that God wants to do immeasurably more in you than you're ever gonna ask, dream, or imagine. And I can say this, City Church has become more than I have ever dreamed, asked, or imagined, and I know it's gonna to continue to do so. So much so that when I look back at the end of my life, I'm gonna smile big and say, God, thank you that I got to be a part of the difference that you made in the kingdom of God in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Here we are, eight months later.
in our finished space it kind of feels more like home every day. It does, yeah. A little bit different than walking through uh, with plywood doors. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's honestly exceeded expectation. Uh, to have your own space and the family environment, people just being able to hang out of just what God's done in such a short time has been remarkable. Yeah, this place is, I mean, there's beauty in every corner of every room, <laughs> but it has really caught me by surprise of just the power of place, the power of being home, uh, what it's even done for me like internally. I've always had this tension and anxiety that I've carried for 30 years maybe every time I get on a stage. And when I get on our stage, it's even cool to say that, uh, that all that's gone. And it's just, there's so much beauty in this space, but there is something about place. There's something about home that's just completely different. It fits us, it's who we are. Like even just from the sanctuary to this, to be able to design a space where you do feel at home I've been amazed like even midweek and just what we've been able to do in prayer. Like those are things that we've wanted to do, but it's amazing like the feeling when you walk into the place that it really is a sanctuary. We don't just call it that, like it's a refuge. It's a place where you, you feel like God's presence tangibly. And I mean, those are things that, I don't know, I knew they would happen. Maybe I just didn't expect them to happen so quickly and so naturally. It, it was immediate. Obviously, as you know, um, this is the fulfillment of a dream that's been happening for a long time that, man, in moments, we didn't know if it was gonna happen or not. You know, I think in a kind of a weird way, all the delays and all of the struggles served to make this even more special. I think when you've had to struggle for something, you have even more gratitude for it and you're more thankful. And I've kind of felt that way. I felt like all of the years of just perseverance has just heightened the beauty and the power of all of this. When we moved to Tulsa in 2009, uh, never dreamed that we would be in this space and all the struggle that we've been through for 13, 14 years now. And all that God has done, truly remarkable. Yeah, I, I think you've experienced this. There's a temptation in that space between the dream and the outcome and the reality, the fulfillment of it where you know, the temptation is discouragement when you don't see how God's going to orchestrate it. There's a tendency to go make it happen on your own. I mean, we looked at a lot of buildings. You know this. There were times where I was like, we could make that work. Yeah. Like, like if we had to, like we could do it. And there was just something about like, don't settle, wait for what, what could be, what God wants. And, you know, people who told us that we're not legitimate church unless you have your own building. How many people like said that to us. The first thing they would ask. We had planted almost 30 churches. We're making disciples, reaching our city. You know, where's your building? And it's, it's almost like, like these 13 years, God was shaping who we were, our DNA, our values, in order to be able to move in and, and do what he's called us to do. Refining it. I mean, this is truly beyond anything that we ever dreamed to have five acres, 54,000 square feet. I mean, we don't need 54,000 square feet. Yeah but God gave us that. Yeah, it makes me go back and just, I'm so grateful that we didn't take what was in front of us and we waited for God's timing. This space is incredible and beautiful, but I know this is gonna be uh, the start of a renewal and restoration or redemption outside of these walls. And uh, we're gonna get to be a huge piece of that because of the vision and the dream that really God has given you.
Yeah, I feel that, that this is the fulfillment of a dream and we celebrate that and we're grateful for it. And at the same time, it's a season of new beginnings where I think we're beginning to dream even more and in bigger ways, not just of a building, but how God wants to use it to do what you said, bring renewal, redemption to a city that needs Jesus and it's hurting. And how can we bring God's kingdom to Tulsa as it is in heaven? I just feel extremely grateful this morning. Anybody else feel grateful, man, for the journey, God's faithfulness. Thank you to our creative arts department for helping us share this story. Cody, Rachel, everybody who was a part of helping form that. So grateful for you. Uh, for the last several weeks, we have been in this season of Lent. Next week is Palm Sunday. The week after that is Holy Week, Easter. And we have been in the Garden of, of Gethsemane with Jesus. We've been in this series called Nevertheless. This is the moment where Jesus feels the weight of what's coming his way. And we've just been sitting in that reality. Him in the garden, the weight of, of suffering and death, moments before his arrest, days before he would die. And Jesus prays this prayer in Luke 22 that I, I feel is one of the most powerful prayers that um, I've ever heard. Maybe one of the most powerful prayers in the Bible. Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. What's the cup? It's suffering. It's the road that was before him. But then he says, nevertheless. How I many there's a lot of power in one word? Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. I want you to think about for a minute Jesus saying, I don't want to walk this road. This is what we do during the season of Lent. This is the difficult journey that we've been on of walking with Jesus to the cross. And the cross is an instrument of death. The cross calls us to come and die. There's nothing easy about the cross. I don't want to walk this road. I don't choose this road. Nobody wants to walk this, and yet I will ultimately surrender my desires, my plan, my will to you. The power of surrender. Last week, couple weeks, we've been talking about surrendering our flesh, right? Surrendering our future, our plans. The power of surrender this morning, surrender my dream. Because just like Jesus, on the road between our dream and the destination, we will face our garden moments where we will choose between our will and surrender. If you haven't faced a garden moment, you will face a garden moment, I'm sure you have in your life, where you have to choose, will I surrender in this moment and walk a road that I'd really rather not walk, or am I going to choose my will and my way? Is my faith in the dream? Is my faith in an outcome? Is, is my faith in my five, ten-year plan? Anybody ever been there? Or is my faith in the giver of the dream? It's difficult. See, I think surrender is about learning to say yes to God where we are, not where we want to be. And how many know that's hard? That's difficult. We make plans, we prepare, we write down our goals. These are not bad things. We make five-year plans, 
10-year plans, but how many know we don't get to determine the timeline or the outcomes? We don't get to determine those things. This building is a story of faithfully waiting, faithfully waiting, 676 Sundays setting up and tearing down. Come on now. We had our first service in here a couple weeks ago. After service, we didn't know what to do. Did we just go home? Let's leave it, right? We were hanging out in the lobby, like talking, like, you know, you, you guys have been with us, like for 13 years, segment chair, you're like, hey, how are you doing? Great, I gotta go tear down, right? <laughs> we gotta leave, because we gotta be out here by 1.15. That's where we've been, faithfully waiting. You know what I learned about us in our church? Faithfully waiting, that God was working and doing amazing things in the waiting. He was forming our community and who God called us to be. He was developing a missional mindset where it's not just about this building, but it's about what we do here and what we take outside the walls. Who are, who are we going to? Who are we loving? Are we making disciples? Are we planting churches? Are we reaching people? Think about it. We've given millions of dollars to church planning and missions. We at City Church have planted 30 churches in the United States, hundreds in Africa, because of that mindset of we're going to go and not just stay. In the waiting, God was doing incredible things. We can have the most well laid out plans and dreams, but we don't get to determine outcomes or timing. I've joked about this before. Some of you know this. When it comes to flights, I have the worst luck ever, right? My wife won't travel with me anymore. She's like, I'm going to get a different flight. I'll meet you there. Ask her. And it's just one of those things I've learned to accept. There was a, a couple years ago, I was on three flights in a row that had a medical emergency, three in a row. The guy in front of me, I'm flying out of Tampa at 6 a.m. The guy in front of me goes into cardiac arrest. Everybody's like asleep. Me and the guy next to me, we don't know what to do. We get out of our seat. We put him on the ground. He is not breathing. How many know that'll wake you up at 6.05 in the morning? And this lady runs down and she starts doing chest compressions and brings him back to life. And I didn't know a commercial airline could turn around that, that quick and go back to an airport. Three times in a row I was on a flight like that, right? Last year, Jim and I were on a flight in Houston. The console above our head falls into our lap. Just ours. Hundreds of people on this flight. It's direct flight from Houston to Tulsa. It's an hour and five minutes. I'm like, I'm gonna hold it. I'm gonna hold it. <laughs> Finally, they were like, what's happening back here? Nothing, no, look that way, you know? <laughs> Nothing to see here. Of course, they had to stop the plane, bring the maintenance crew out, come on now. We were doing some church planning trips just a few weeks ago. We were in San Diego and Phoenix, my wife with, with me. We're sitting on the plane in San Diego. They were like, um, DFW is on fire. We're not gonna be able to go there today, you know? I'm like, see, told you, babe. She looks over at me immediately and she's like, it's you, it's you. <laughs> we're in Phoenix. I mean, it's a perfect weather day. I look up at the screen, like 400 flights, one canceled flight, come on now. You know it's us, you know it's us. I was sitting in Tulsa International not too long ago. I'm boarding a plane. This young girl walks, or walks up to me as we're boarding a plane. She's like, oh, Pastor Matt. And I didn't recognize her. And I was like, hey, how are you? And she's like, oh, man, I'm nervous of flying. I'm so great to see my pastor on this plane. <laughs> yeah. I, I did not say this to her, but in my head, I'm like, you shouldn't be lucky. <laughs> You'll probably get there alive, but you definitely ain't getting there on time, you know? How many know you can have really good, well-laid-out plans or flight itineraries? It does not matter, does it? Amen? God does his best work in the waiting. God does his best work in the in-between. 
In fact, it's almost like all the men and women of God throughout the Bible had this test of faith. Read it, every one of them. Where there was a calling, there was a dream, there was a moment followed by it's never going to happen. Followed by there's no way that this could be God's plan. There's no way that God would reroute us this direction only to get here. It's almost like God was waiting for them to say, you know what, I I, gotta surrender my dream. It's almost like God's waiting sometimes for us to to get rid of our five-year, 10-year plan or the, the way we thought it was going to be in order for God to say, okay, now you're fully surrendered. Now you're broken. Maybe we just need to have a funeral for our five and 10-year plans, amen? I used to be all about 10-year plans and I'd get like two or three years into it and I'd be like, nope, that's not gonna work out that way. In 2019, I I published my first book called The Beauty of the In-Between. It only took me seven years to write it. It was a life story of me. I've always been infatuated with the story of David. There's three parts of this book. The pasture is the place where you feel forgotten, where you feel put aside, where where it's not necessarily where you wanna be, it can be uncomfortable. The second part is the cave. The cave is the place in your life where you will visit, where you wouldn't have ever said, I want this to be a part of my story. The cave's where you wind up and you're like, nope, this can't be right. And then the palace. The palace is a place of purpose, the place that you always dreamed of. If you remember the story of David, David's tending sheep in this pasture season. He walks into his house. Samuel pours oil in his head. All of a sudden, he's going to be the next king over all of Israel. You can imagine what happens to David, what he's thinking. David has this incredible moment where he defeats Goliath. He moves into the second of the armies of the living God under Saul. He's having incredible success. Whatever David touches turns to gold, right? It's this meteoric rise that David is experiencing up and to the right. And how many know life is really good until all of a sudden it's not? 1 Samuel chapter 18. Bitterness and pride takes root in Saul's heart. And all of a sudden, who, who Saul was beginning to promote in David, now he's jealous of. Now he's throwing a spear, trying to pin David to the wall. David is climbing out the back window of the house, kissing his wife goodbye as he begins to flee for his life. How about that was not in the five-year plan? First Samuel chapter 22, verse one, says this, says, David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Adullam. When his brothers and his father's household heard about it, They went down to him there. All those who were in distress or in debt or discontented discontented, gathered around him and he became their commander. About 400 men were with him. Not in the plan. See, Adullam feels like the end of a dream. Anybody ever been there? It feels like the place where dreams go to die. It feels like the place where this is no longer possible. Adullam is going to require another level of surrender and faith unlike you've ever experienced before. You've been there? Now, I know we joke when we saw this picture of Pastor Jim and I on the roof, right? Just after this copper theft had happened. That was October of 2020. The next week, my entire family had COVID. We were down. It's a good story now. Can I tell you that was a rock bottom moment? I'm at home. I couldn't leave the house. All of this is going on. We're trying to figure out what the damages are gonna be. And every time I get a report, it's so much worse than what we thought. The world just shut down. You're going through this. You don't have enough money to see the dream through anyway. 
But I did stop Jim. And I said, we're gonna take a picture because I know it's gonna be another story of God's faithfulness. Anybody been there? I don't know how, I don't know when, but I know God doesn't bring us here to leave us here, right? Amen? God doesn't get you to a point and be like, man, I brought you up to this point, now you're on your own. But Adullam is that place of surrender, I will tell you that. It's a place of letting go. I was writing this book and I thought the palace was just the place ultimately I wanted to get to. Man, just get to the palace. Everybody wants to be in the palace, right? Palace is awesome. You're living in your purpose. Everybody wants to be in the palace. Nobody wants to be in the pasture. Nobody wants to be in the cave. And God began to do a deep work in my heart as I was writing this book. That's why it took me seven years, because it changed. God shifted something in, in me and about how I saw him. That it wasn't so much about letting go of the dream, but God was telling me this, if you can't love the place that you're in, you will never love the place that I'm taking you. If you don't learn to fall in love with me in the pasture when no one's looking, guess, how, guess what? The palace will never be enough for you. If you can't find God in the cave, guess what? Palace ain't gonna be enough. And it's almost like as I was writing this and going through my own struggle, God was saying, learn to love me right here. Embrace the place that you're in. If it's obscurity, break, embrace obscurity. If it's the cave, come on now, I know you don't wanna stay there, do you? But God's doing something as you wait, as you persevere. In fact, the cave does things in our soul that just don't happen any other way, you know that? And there's something about brokenness that transforms our heart. Not waiting for certain outcomes or timelines before we worship. Not waiting for this building to give God praise or to make disciples or reach people for Jesus. Not waiting for you fill in the blank before you choose to surrender your life to him. See, I, I think this is what Adullam teaches us. This ultimately is what the Garden of Gethsemane teaches us the power of surrender, of saying yes to the road sometimes we don't wanna take because that's the road God has called us to walk down. And, and if we do this, we learn something about the kingdom of God, that life truly only happens through what? Death. You wanna experience resurrection, then you have to go through what? Crucifixion. You wanna experience life to the fullest and power, then you have to surrender your life. And what are the unsurrendered parts of my life? As we journey in this season of Lent, God, what are the unsurrendered parts of my heart? What is, what is not on the altar before you? What am I clinging onto? What am I holding onto? If you would this morning, stand to your feet with me across this room. truly believe this is why God looks for broken people. God looks for broken people who hands, palms up saying, God, whatever I have, it's yours. If you would, I'm going to invite you right where you're at just to close your eyes and to allow the work of the Holy Spirit this morning to do whatever God wants to do.
God, we surrender our lives, our hearts. As we journey with you to the cross in this season of Lent, God, we let go of whatever's on the throne of our lives, whatever we're holding on to, whatever idols we cling to, Father, whatever plan, five, 10-year plan, God, that, that, God, we're clinging on to right now, God, we let it go. God, we say, nevertheless, God, I, I, I may not wanna walk this road, nevertheless. God, I may not wanna have to face this reality, nevertheless. God, this wouldn't, it isn't the story I would have chosen, nevertheless. God, the power of nevertheless, the power of surrender that you showed us how to live in the garden. And God, we stop and say, thank you that through your death, we have life. That through your crucifixion, we find resurrection. That through your power, that God, we can have victory. We thank you for that, Jesus. City Church, right where you're at, just in this moment with your head bowed, eyes closed, I just want you to begin to prepare your heart to receive Christ today as we prepare our hearts to come to the table.